I will say we're always in a constant state of growth, right? Yeah. And and we should always be in a constant state of growth yeah. and a constant state of learning to understand like I'm, you know, I'm working on these skills and I can always get better at them. To be willing to say, I know I'm not perfect and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to continue to grow and that's yeah. actually exciting. All right, welcome to Beyond the Ping Pong Table, the podcast that delves into the heart of innovative workplace cultures that put people first. Today, I'm excited to have Nicole Ennen, founder of Org Empathy Consulting, as our guest here in the studio, live in person. Nicole holds a master's in organizational psychology, has over a decade of industry experience, and is committed to sharing new and creative learning approaches, which I'm really excited to get into today. She's dedicated to helping organizations navigate the delicate balance between doing business and embracing the human aspect of work. Join us as we explore Nicole's approach to developing leaders, enhancing interpersonal skills among employees, and fostering a culture that truly values empathy and understanding. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here and have the conversation today with you. Um, I've been having a lot of fun with this icebreaker question. Um, What was your first job ever, and how old were you? Well, I babysat for a while when I was probably in my early teens, right? Like 15, 16, did a lot of babysitting. But my first, I would say, corporate job was at Sears. Um, If they, I don't know if Sears is still a company, right? You remember Sears? I remember Uh, Sears. I was in the shoe department. If you didn't know that Sears had a shoe department, they did. And was there a commission? There was not a commission. Oh, okay. (laughs) No, and so my people were like, can you put this shoe on my foot? I'm like, I'm not... (laughs) No, thank you. Uh, <laughs> so that was short-lived? <laughs> uh, no, I did it. I did it through high school for, okay. for a couple of years, like just in my, you know, part-time job in high school, making some money. So nice. worked at Sears. That was my first, first intro into the customer service life, I right, guess. Yeah. Right, right, right. Corporate life. So walk us through a little bit about your career journey then. Yeah. yeah. So I have a background in psychology, sociology. Mm-hmm. I've always been fascinated with just how, how do people interact and like, why do I click with some folks and not with others and how do groups of people work well together? So yeah. always interested in that social psychology mm-hmm. aspect. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't want to go and be a professor at a university and teach. So I looked at different types of opportunities and I ended up finding industrial organizational psychology, which is just a kind of long, I know, a yeah. long title for- What does that mean? <laughs> How do you apply like psychology and the science of, you know, how we behave and how we work together into the workplace? So how do you hire people the right way? How do we, how do we do training like adult learning theory? Uh, How do people work together? Like what does leadership coaching and development look like? And how can we, you know, build leaders that are effective and empathetic? Mm -hmm. And uh, so all the culture values of organizations, all of these different types of things. So I went and got my master's in that um, at Minnesota State University, Mankato, and have been I love that. Love the program. Still very involved with it. Um, actually, going up to our alumni network in, we're having a big reunion for all the alumni over the past like thirty years that yes. have been in the program this yeah. fall. It's going to be exciting. Um, but yeah, and so started my career in consulting at like smaller firms, uh, focused on like selection, training, mentorship programs, exit surveys and interviews like why are people leaving companies and how can that data inform changes we make right Mm -hmm. uh and then ended up uh going into google and worked in the people analytics people operations uh department for about three and a half years working on candidate experience employee experience career development uh took a sidestep 
for three and a half years went into Google Cloud and focused on the customer facing side of experience. So what can we do to make that better for our business to business customers? Mm-hmm. And yeah, recently last year started my own my own practice focused on this. Yeah. yeah. So how did you so were you consulting at Google then? Or was that? I was an internal, yeah, internal okay. position, but I, I considered myself an internal consultant, essentially. So I, I managed a lot of the, the surveys and research programs uh-huh. uh, that fed into experience work. And then essentially I worked across department to be like, this is the data and here, you know, let's work, work with you to figure out the recommendations and what we can actually do to build programs to make experience better for people that are going through a hiring process, mm-hmm. people that are trying to look for a job internally but don't want to leave Google but are kind of you know ready to move on to something new and exciting like how do we make those pathways easier for people awesome. and yeah understand the the programmatic aspects kind of partnering with different departments and stakeholders so nice. yeah nice and so you spent about seven years there I spent seven years at Google yeah and what was what transition due to yeah, starting so, your own consulting yeah I know it's a it, interesting time in tech right now yeah. um so I, like I said, I was at Google for the first three and a half years, worked in people analytics, then moved to Google Cloud uh, on the customer facing side. I will say that's kind of like a detour in my career. I learned so much, had a really interesting experience, got gained a lot of skills and just got to see what things were like on the customer facing side. Also realized I wanted to get back into the people stuff, into the training, into the development. And so I was looking for kind of a change and I, Google has a great program for nonprofits called .org. Long story short, I ended up getting a fellowship, which allowed me to go on a six-month sabbatical to work on a, oh, wow. a nonprofit project yeah. where your your team still pays for you to go on this six-month sabbatical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then three months into, or three weeks into me starting that project, the, la- the big layoffs hit at Google in tech last year. So it was that 12,000. I know they've been, they've, there's probably even more since yeah. that. That had, like, right, they keep hitting tech, um, and so, so yeah, I reevaluated what, what do I, one, what do I love to do and how do I get back to my own personal values mm-hmm. and how can I add something that would, you know, help, <laughs> help other people. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I wanted to get back to that. Right? How can I feel like more connected to others? How can I help other people have those aha moments? And so doing these trainings and workshops around interpersonal skills, manager development, having groups of teams work together. That's Mm -hmm. something I've always been really passionate about. And just, I get energy from that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in April of last year, I started started my own consulting practice. You didn't waste much time. I didn't, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. uh, uh, Like I said, I think I was in a better mental place than a lot of folks. Like I'm still running support groups. Um, for folks that got laid off last year, okay. like I, we meet weekly and like, I kind of lead a support group and it's literally anybody can come. And I think awesome. I, I was at a different place where I was mentally kind of ready to move on. I had a little bit of golden handcuff syndrome because yeah. I live in the Bay area and yeah. I was hoping to afford a down payment on a house at some point. And I was right. like, if I stay there for 10 years, maybe I can afford a right. down payment. Absolutely, um, yeah. and so, but I reevaluated things and, you know, realized that I'd I'd rather use that money or I'd rather invest in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. And, and in what I actually want to do and try mm-hmm. to go off on my own and, and see how that works and, and, you know, do the things that I'm passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, congratulations yeah. Thank you. On that. Thank you. <laughs> what kind of uh, companies do you work with right now? Honestly, it, it, it varies. So I have some, I work with some nonprofits. I work with um, some government organizations. I also work with like private 
corporations. Um, it really, what I'm looking for, the, the folks that I think tend to work well with me are you know, where they have leaders or managers that realize like something's not quite right. Like mm-hmm. people are leaving my team or there's some interpersonal conflict that I don't, I can't fix by myself. I don't understand mm-hmm. what's going on. Um, at like an organizational level, there might be some politics interdepartment, right? Mm-hmm. So those are, I guess, ideal clients for me are folks that realize that something is wrong and maybe it's making them be less profitable, less productive. Their employees are not satisfied and maybe they're leaving at mm-hmm. higher rates. Yeah. And so folks that realize that and, and don't necessarily understand or can't pinpoint what the issue is, mm-hmm. that's where I'm, you know, I, I can come in and kind of look at the different situations and mm-hmm. see like what are the factors in play and um, look at some interpersonal training workshop solutions to like help build a a stronger culture. So how do you define an empathetic leader? Yeah. So uh, that's a a great question. Um, I have a process of empathy that I kind of go through with both individuals and also kind of organizations. And I'll say it really does start with you. So it starts with the person themselves, even if I'm thinking of myself as a leader, myself as a manager, but even just me as an individual, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Relating with other people. The first step to empathy is really understanding yourself Mm -hmm. and understanding your own reactions to life, right? Like we all have these biases and our our brain is wired in a way to react to different stimuli, right? Mm -hmm. And so the more that we can understand how we react, how do we communicate? What's our preferred communication method? How, what's our work style? You know, like what are some of our personality quirks Mm -hmm. and how do we communicate that to others? Mm -hmm. Like we can't really communicate like, Hey, I prefer this if we don't actually know ourselves (laughs) or I really, you know, I like to do this. I like to do that. Um, I prefer a text over an email, Mm -hmm. all that, like even little things like that can make a big difference in how we interact with each other. So I think understanding yourself and that introspective part is really the first step to empathy. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of what I start with, with leaders and managers. It's understanding who you are, what is your leadership style and like, how, how do you you know, prefer to communicate? How can you communicate that to your directs? And then also figuring out moving into the next stages is taking that, you know, view outside and really understanding and looking at the environment. Uh, And the first step really is active listening, right? And consideration. So Mm -hmm. truly looking at things without judgment and Mm -hmm. seeing what does, what happens in my environment? How is this individual you know, interacting with me? How are they experiencing this, which might be different from what I assume they're experiencing. So really listening to people and then, you know, doing the active listening process to say, I heard this. Is that correct? Right. So Mm -hmm. making sure that you're really understanding what they're saying Mm -hmm. and then using that understanding to move forward and incorporating that actually into your behavior. Mm -hmm. Right. So, hey, I heard that you actually prefer to be communicated to this way or, you know, you prefer this, this thing. um, You know, you weren't too hot on when I did this behavior and you wanted to give me feedback on it. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to adjust my behavior and then let's have an open communication so that we can learn from each other. Mm -hmm. Right. And building that trust as a manager is so important and it takes, it takes time and it takes effort. And I feel like a lot of folks are just promoted into management because they're great at the thing that they they do. Yeah. Yeah. But being a manager and being a leader are, are different skill sets than what you're doing on the ground, whether you're coding, whether, you know, you do customer service or sales, being a manager is different than those skill sets. And so it's, it's just another thing you can learn. And I do believe it, it, it is learnable. It's teachable, right? We can learn how to be empathetic. 
So it's with the act yeah. of listening. I just uh, like, if, yeah. you know, if that's not something that you're normally attuned to doing, is that something that you try to facilitate conversations like that? Or do you just try to inject it in your everyday? Like, how do you get people aware yeah. of active listening and, yeah. and using it with their yeah, it's team. it's a great question. And so I, I say you can do it either way, right? You can even do it as micro practices. Mm-hmm. So right now, like as we're having this conversation, instead of me responding right away, mm-hmm. I could like take a couple breaths and not think about <laughs> what I'm going to say yeah. and just be like, hey, what I heard you say was you really w- you want to understand what active listening is right. and how I can input that, you know, how, to, do we do it in big workshops? Do we do it in micro practices? Yeah. How do we do it throughout? Right. So like having that confir- confirmation, That's exactly what I was saying. Yes, <laughs> and, you got it. Right? Um, and not having it be like, I need to respond. I need to respond. Yeah. Right. And I feel yeah. like as leaders too, sometimes we feel like there's a spotlight on us and that mm-hmm. we need to be on all the time and we can't show any vulnerability Mm. or we can't, you know, we need, we need to be strong. We need to show like the way, Mm -hmm. but the more we're able to be open and show pieces of ourselves and, and take that time to say, I want to listen to you and I might not respond right away. Mm -hmm. Like people, people relate to that and they, they actually, they, they like, we all want to be listened to just at a core level, right? We want to be understood as Mm -hmm. humans. So the more that we can facilitate those types of conversations and micro practices, and it doesn't need to be like, I'm going to have this giant session with all my employees in a room and we're, I'm going to actively listen to you. Tell me all the things, right? Like that's a little bit too spotlighting right. on everything, but right. even just in, in one-on-ones, right? Yeah. Like I always encourage managers should have one-on-ones with their employees and it should not just be on like, what's this week? What's going on? Okay. You did this, you did that, blah, blah, blah. Right. Like it shouldn't be on just the tactical stuff. Of course that could be part of it, Mm -hmm. but it should be a trust building exercise. Mm -hmm. That's what those one-on-ones are. Like ask them, how are, how are they doing? How can I support you? Right. And actually listen to that and then incorporate that into how you're interacting with that person. Mm -hmm. And everybody's going to be different. So I say there's, you know, there's not one style of management necessarily that works for different, like just everybody, every, Mm -hmm. your approach as a manager and leader, you, it's really understanding the person Mm -hmm. and then figuring out what do they need to be successful and how can I support that? Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important to treat everybody as an individual. Yeah. Earlier in the conversation, you had mentioned that you run support groups for folks who've been laid off from their positions. And um, while sometimes a layoff is inevitable, what can companies or leaders within that organization be doing to better prepare, I guess, their their team when something like this happens? Yeah. Uh, so there, yeah, there's so there's a lot of stuff. I think it's very it's very interesting time where. It's, it's almost like if you have a hammer, everything's a nail. And I feel like, especially a lot of industries right now <laughs> are, mm-hmm. are like using layoffs as their like fix it solution to any operational budget right. cost savings issues, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not necessarily a financial strategy consultant, but there are a ton of them out there that could help businesses. There are other ways around this, mm-hmm. right? There are other ways you can cut costs. There are other ways that you can figure out how to operationalize and, and, you know, maybe you hired too many people in the first place. Well, that was a leadership mistake, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, that shouldn't fall on the people. Um, but there are a few different ways I think that companies can think through this. So first is there shouldn't be a layoff in the first place, right? Um, and our, our, if there is 
a place where you need to reduce the force in certain departments. You're like, these aren't our priorities anymore. Our priorities are over here. How can you retrain or reactivate those people in a different part of the company, Mm -hmm. right? So is there that transferability that you could figure out how can, you know, if they do, they need retraining or can can we actually just plug and play them into, you know, if if they're software engineers over here, can we put them over here Mm -hmm. and they can work on this other project that's a super high priority for us? So thinking, thinking more creatively about that. Mm-hmm. I also think there's, there's some interesting approaches that some companies took, particularly during the pandemic, which was we, you know, we know we have to, we have to do furloughs or we have to do layoffs. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just inevitable. We don't have the business at, right now. And like, especially for like travel type businesses, right? And so there were some companies that, that experimented with voluntary layoffs. So it was like, here's the severance package. This is how many people, you know, we're going to need to let go. Who would like to volunteer? So instead mm-hmm. of doing involuntary layoffs where some, you know, leader somewhere is just like you, 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 what if you gave people the choice? And then you're also kind of, you know, there's, there's good attrition and bad attrition, right? Like mm-hmm. the, uh, you don't necessarily want people to stay that actually want to leave and yeah. that aren't going to be as productive in their roles. So right. if people are already like one foot out the door, yep. like those people might be more likely to raise their hands in that situation. Yep. Right. And then it obviously feels a lot better if employees, the employee is able to make a cho- choice and choose their own destiny to say, yes, I would, I, I, I will, you know, take this severance package and think about my options for the future mm-hmm. versus if it was just done to them. So yeah. I think there there are a lot of other ways around this if if companies were willing to take the time to invest in them and think more creatively and the cost, you know, might be it, it might take longer for them to see the benefits of the cost, right? Because unfortunately right now companies who do layoffs, stock price go up. Like mm-hmm. layoff happens, stock price goes up the next day if mm-hmm. it's a public company, which mm-hmm. is sad. Um, <laughs> but it, that's that's kind of some of the incentive, right? Mm-hmm. And you're not going to see the stock price go up. You're, you're going to see it steadily go up if you invest in some of these other solutions. And in the long run, there there is research that shows companies who have good cultures and you know do do practices like this that are more people focused. They have better stock prices to compared to comparable companies from like ten years ago that when they started at the same level. Yeah, and I can I can give you some of the research if we want to put it in the show notes. But yeah, it's just it's really interesting. It's it's a long term strategy for success, and I feel like a lot of companies are just stuck in that short term thinking right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, it just goes back again to that empathy. It does thinking yeah. about the people, thinking about the people, and, and building that in. Yeah, thinking yeah. about that, and it's not again the the part is <laughs> it's not just doing what's best for the people because it is doing what's best for your company because mm-hmm. when people collaborate better, they communicate better with each other, they are invested in the mission and believe in the leaders. They're going to stay longer, be more productive for you, and make more money for you. Yeah, and it's it's a, again a long term strategy for success that I think a lot of companies are not they're thinking to too short-sighted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So my last corporate job was like 10 years ago, but I actually, I worked for a really great company and they were checking in with us regularly enough that by the time your performance review, I remember my first performance review, like having my speech prepared, having my numbers mm-hmm. of what I felt I deserved. And they didn't even have to like use any of that. Like it was like, Oh, Oh yeah, no, I, I have been doing a good job and that's why I'm still here. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about that. Cause I feel like Previous jobs weren't quite like that. Sure. And people shouldn't dread the, uh, you know, the, the performance reviews. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it does look different for 
for different companies. A lot of companies do tend to do a either once or twice a year, like big rating mm -hmm. review, right? And so it's when uh, managers are giving their employees a rating. Sometimes it's a 360 where you gather feedback from kind of all around you, from your peers, from the folks, uh, you know, if you have direct reports from those that, you know, you manage from like your leadership. So you get some feedback, but a lot of times it, it kind of occurs once or twice a year. Mm -hmm. And I think as it is very fascinating because from a, a process standpoint, so uh, I go to the Society of IO Psychology conference every year and there's a ton of professionals that this is their job. They work on performance management systems. They do like there's PhDs that do research on performance yeah. management systems. And it was really fascinating that like five years ago, six years ago, it was like, we need to change everything. Like it's, we need a revolution in this. What we're doing is not working. And then it's, I, I don't know. I think we just forgot about it and we're just kind of, still kind of doing the same thing, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> or it's like nobody came up with something better yet. I okay. think performance yeah. is a very hard thing to manage um, at, from an, a big organizational level because a lot of those ratings then go into compensation. They go into promotions. They go into all of these different types of things. I think that there are things that we can do, though, as managers and leaders to make sure that our we are can feel confident that our employees are being rated fairly, equitably, that we're taking their full performance into account and that we're not surprising them with mm -hmm. feedback. Right. Yeah. So I think uh, like I touched on before with when when somebody starts on your team, you should have you know, well, one, you should have a job description, which honestly, some jobs don't <laughs> some even have. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you should you should know what this person should be doing. Yeah. And then you should set those expectations with them. This mm -hmm. is what I expect of you. Here are, you know, some of the goals. And maybe you can if they're you know senior enough, maybe you can build those goals together. Right. Mm -hmm. Like this is kind of what we need to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out how to build that plan to get there. But these are the expectations that I have for you, right? Mm -hmm. And then and then talk about them. And you should be checking in with those mm -hmm. consistently, mm -hmm. right? So checking in with them in your weekly one-on-ones, uh, you know, even just mentioning when you're on track, when you're not, doing like formal, more formalized check-ins every month, doing uh, with my direct reports that I had at Google in my last role. I, I did, um, you know, I had weekly one-on-ones with them and this could come up at any point. But then I also had like hour long times that were separate every like couple of months that we would just talk about Let's let's not be in the weeds. Let's pull back. How are you doing overall? Mm -hmm. how, how can I support you in your career? Mm -hmm. And thinking through, like, what do you want in the next five years? Where do you want to be? And how can we set you up for success there? And then checking in on the expectations for their role to make sure that they're on track, you know, to to get a decent rating. Right. And so mm -hmm. that's something that we can do as individuals. I think that there's still uh, like I'm not one of those people that is, has a PhD in performance management. So there are a lot of great folks that are coming up with great solutions out there for mm -hmm. how companies can strategize and come up with better systems. And like, I've worked with a lot of them. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think there's, there's a revolution that could be afoot if we're willing to take, you know, to, to not just sit within the norm. Right. But there are things we can do right now as leaders and yeah. that's continuously like being, building that trust being open to giving feedback throughout the cycle mm -hmm. and not having it just be a one-time thing where people mm -hmm. are surprised at their rating or the feedback that they get. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when we, when we were off camera, you mm -hmm. started telling me about how you just got certified on movement, what movement and practice, movement and practice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm like cross my fingers. 
I just finished my certification program, so I should hear in like a couple of weeks, but yeah. So can you (laughs) talk to us a little bit about that program and then how you're trying to incorporate it with your consulting business? Yeah, of course. Uh, So the program was created by Dr. Peter Lovett and uh, Lindsay Lovett, who are based out of the UK. And Dr. Peter Lovett calls himself Dr. Dance, uh, or dance psychologist, Mm -hmm. and he's been doing research for decades just on how movement and dance can help us uh, feel more connected to one another, can help us emotionally and with our well-being, and also help us think a little bit better and improvise and like brainstorm, like h- how movement actually affects how we think, how we feel, all of these amazing things. Uh-huh. And so they created a program where you can essentially upskill to become a facilitator in these this methodology and then apply it to your practice, your daily lives. And so, uh, so yeah, I went through the certification program at the end of last year and just like submitted my final thesis. Okay. <laughs> and so, um, I'm really excited at, just to, to one, be in that community of folks that are thinking more creatively yeah. about how can we apply things to a business setting, to a nonprofit setting, to, to applied settings in, mm-hmm. in a way that's a, a little bit different. So, um, I'll give you a couple examples of yeah. how I'm thinking to use Please. this. It's, like when I do workshops with teams where we're trying to break down these barriers and we're understanding what norms do we have that are not effective? Like Mm -hmm. what behaviors are we doing that aren't effective, Mm -hmm. right? Like maybe our weekly meeting, everybody is just tuned out and doing something else. Mm -hmm. Like, but we just, it's a norm. So we just keep having that meeting. Like, how do we have that conversation about is that effective and should we not do it? And like breaking down those, you know, barriers of defensiveness that we might have with one another. How do we use movement to to actually grease the wheels of that? Mm-hmm. So how can we do some movement exercises within some of these team building workshops with like the research that, you know, indicates that when we move in sync with other people, we kind of like actually feel a little bit closer to them and like mm-hmm. some of the walls with defensiveness come down. Um, it also helps with our well-being. And a lot of us who work in office type job, jobs are chronically still. Like we just mm-hmm. don't move. We're at our computers. We're not up and down, especially if we work hybrid or maybe from home. Like we're just, you know, we might never, never leave our computer. So how do we even just get some movement breaks and get our bodies moving to begin? So we kind of reset back to like our body's emotional baseline. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then we can be more present in the conversations we're having instead of being distracted by all of these different things that, you know, very stressful, right? We have a lot of stuff on our mind most of the time. Mm-hmm. Most of us do. And so yeah. how do we actually just make ourselves more present in the moment mm-hmm. and being able to relate to other people? So I'm really excited to see how I can build some of those movement practices into the type workshops or with teams, but also with managers and individuals on how, how they can build micro practices in their day to reset mm-hmm. them emotionally to show up better as leaders. Yeah. Yeah. I just joined a hip hop class. So like I could totally yes! like, like I've like dance has always been a way I love to express myself. Yeah. And I remember going first day feeling like, how am I going to look in a mirror at myself in front of all these people? But then now that wall is down and like the camaraderie in that class yeah. and the encouragement that we all give each other. I mean, yeah, if that's anything like that, I could totally understand and relate to that right now. Totally right. <laughs> and I, I feel like there, yeah, there's that barrier of, and, and, Dr. Peter Lovett like has talked about this too throughout the program and even at, with their work with organizations it's like breaking down that barrier of people being worried about oh well dance whatever that's just too foo-foo or that can't work for us yeah. but 
Um, it really, I've seen him get in front of a group of 10,000 people at like a conference and yeah. make everybody dance. Yeah. And the entire room is just invigorated and energized yeah. after it. And like, <laughs> you can awesome. see how much of an impact it does have, right? Yeah. Uh, once you do it. And I feel like it's just for people who are willing to experiment, maybe go outside the box a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, obviously I can adjust. It's not like I'm going to bring in hip hop or bring in <laughs> right. um, ballet or some like intensive dance to like right. a corporate setting, right. even small movements yeah. with like your arms or even just like getting up. It doesn't even have to be dance, right? It could just be like, do it. Let's walk around the room together and see yeah. how, how do we actually walk? <laughs> like, yeah. do we walk in sync? Like usually sometimes when people walk together, they'll actually start walking in sync with like uh, steps right in a yeah. circle it's just very interesting thinking through how does how does some of our interactions come out in movement yeah in a different way yeah yeah i feel like i need to have like a routine before i do my podcast yeah <laughs> i love that I've, i'm trying to build more movement exercises into my just daily life right yeah. like e- like when i'm at a computer for four hours <laughs> working on a training or something and i'm just in it it's like you gotta get up let's just get yeah. up and turn on you know turn on a minute of music and just dance. And like, it just, it really does reset your, your body. It resets your mind. It helps kind of release, you know, your cortisol, just like high stress hormones. It helps you get, get rid of some of that and just come, come back into your body. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So you're an artist as well. And, um, I want to know more about how that ties into creativity and connection for you with your clients. Yeah. So I, have been doing art my, my whole life, mm-hmm. I guess. And it's always, it's something that has been a, it, it's a release for me, right? It's kind of like, it's my meditation almost, mm-hmm. right? Is making. And I also am on the board of a local nonprofit called Harmony Works. And we do a lot of like performance and community-based stuff and so like singing and being able to kind of do all of that is really just like a release for me. And so I am very, especially taking this movement program mm-hmm. um, and being certified in movement and practice and getting getting that incorporated, I'm continuously thinking through how can I bring that creativity and those creative approaches into the workplace? Because mm-hmm. especially with, I don't know, if you think about normal corporate training <laughs> type stuff, it's like- It's a drag. Yeah, yeah, right? It's <laughs> let me talk at you for three hours yeah. and you're just probably gonna zone out or here's this e-learning that you have to like click through after 30 seconds passes, but you're probably like doing your email, right? Like there, how do we make some of those things more effective? So people, and using creativity, using mm-hmm. either cr- the act of creation, uh, using movement and practice, using like the performance type of thing, using music. How do we bring those concepts into how people connect with it, right? Mm-hmm. At kind of a more visceral level um, mm-hmm. to some of these concepts and be again in the moment, bring people into the moment of like the workshop and not have all these things that they're thinking about and worried about, mm-hmm. but like they're so integrated and excited and, uh, you know, feel like they're interacting with things that they actually like pick up the concepts better. So I'm really, really excited to figure out how can I partner my creative side with the creation into doing some more of these, uh, like experimental interactive workshops in the workplace. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting because it's like, like I said, like allowing people to have, like, how do you create without putting people on the spot, like how do you let allow people to open up in organizations? Like mm-hmm. how, how do you facilitate that? How can we naturally kind of, I don't know, tap into 
what our team's interests are or desires or creativity. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, again, I'm, I'm going to go back to active listening yeah. and, you have, and empathy yeah. and understanding. Yeah. Right. So it really goes back to, do you, do you understand, uh, you know, their communication, what they prefer? And as, again, as you build trust with people and a manager, mm-hmm. as we build trust with people, like they'll be more comfortable sharing some stuff with us. Right. Yeah. And like, Oh, Hey, this is my interest outside of work or I'm going to, I'm going to this, you know, I'm going to go do ceramics after work Mm -hmm. or I, you know, I'm going to go pick up my kids from soccer practice and I'm going to go do this. Right. And so we're able to build that similarity and there's, Mm -hmm. you know, understanding of like, oh, hey, we have similar interests or, oh, wow, that's fascinating. I want to learn more about that. And Mm -hmm. and then how can we start, you know, building that into once you understand what people like, okay, well, what activities or what types of things could we do together to, to bond and create that trust? Yeah. And I love again, that you just, the active listening, that, that, that might end up being part of the title. (laughs) Empathy and active listening, you know, because. And I mean, I'm not great at it sometimes either. Right. Like I have, like we all can work on these things. Yeah. Even me as like, Oh, empathy, active listening. It's like, sometimes I realize like, you know, at home with my partner, I'm like, wow, I'm, I did not listen. Like yeah. I need to take a step back and, or, or just realize too, when am I not at a point to receive like information yeah. and be able to communicate that? Like, Hey, I would love to have this conversation. I'm just emotionally not there right now. Like I can't, like I can't intake anything more. I had a rough day. Like, can we, can we have this conversation tomorrow? Right. Yeah. And so I think yeah. it's, it's understanding again, goes back to understanding yourself and understanding when you're able to have the capacity to do the emotional labor and emotional intelligence that mm-hmm. is needed yeah. for interaction, right? Yeah. yeah. I've even found that after hosting this podcast now, like I've been expanding my team as of this past couple of uh-huh. weeks. And, oh, cool. and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of email, text message correspondence. Mm-hmm. And I'm keep like, before I hit send, I'm like, no, 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 no. That doesn't sound... That doesn't sound right. Let let's, let's pat it. Yeah, let's pat it up a little bit. Like I'm like I'm a nice person, and I would assume yeah. that that that's what they're hearing. But I've I've known in the past. I've been told in the past, and if you ask any of my sisters they, <laughs> and my, some of my best friends, sometimes I'm a little too quick to mm-hmm. respond for out of efficiency. And I found that like, wait, I should really li- I, like I tap into an episode or something I learned about leadership, and I'm like, okay, wait, if I if I can give this feedback a little bit differently and maybe a little extra follow through, and then just checking in, like yeah. it's like things I thought I did, but not as intentionally. And so yeah. it's, it's, it, I think it's that, yeah, coming that, up for me a lot. It does. Yeah. And that goes back to understanding your audience and who you're interacting with. Right. Yeah. And, uh, just, yeah. Figuring out like, okay, maybe somebody will interpret this one way, but another person will interpret the same exact message a completely different way. And it yeah. is hard because when we're not in person, which a lot of us text, we have virtual yeah. calls, we have all this stuff and we don't have the body language. We don't have the tone of voice. We right. don't have all these other markers that helps us understand how people like, you know, are, uh, what, what they're intention. trying yeah. to communicate. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so making sure that we explain, <laughs> this is what I meant, uh, you know, in a different way or understand who we're talking to. Yeah. Like for, you know, even in, in sharing our pet peeves, like if somebody just texts me back, K like instead of like, all right, or sounds good. I think that they hate me. And like, I know people do that all the time, but it's just, it's a thing that like, I don't know what, why it triggers me, but it does. Right. And so like, I communicate that with people. I'm like, Hey, that like, are you mad at me? And they're like, no, why? And I'm like, because you just sent one letter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so like, we hold on to that. Like you're like, yeah. Right. And then it's like, Oh no, gosh, does that person hate me? But it's understanding like, okay, that's a trigger for Nicole. So maybe I don't send her K. I sent her sounds good or yeah. 
oh, message received, like something else, right? Yeah. That that gets the same thing across. So yeah. I think, again, it's to understanding your audience and, and your communication and their communication and figuring out a collaboration in between. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember like when I was a manager, like I remember some of the, the training we did there even. And I remember reading Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Yeah. You know that book? Yep, yep, yep. I love that book. Quick mm-hmm. read. And like, I remember like thinking, oh, I could really like apply this to, uh, mm-hmm. at, the, at the time, my husband, we were, we were dating, you know, but yeah. like, I was like, there's a lot of like tactical tips here that I can be using at home too. It's, it all goes. It does. Yeah. It, it's life. It's, <laughs> it's life, like, right? Yeah. And I mean, we're in, I will say we're always in a constant state of growth, right? Yeah. And and we should always be in a constant state of growth yeah. in a constant state of learning to understand like I'm, you know, I'm working on these skills and I can always get better at them. I can yeah. always understand myself better. I can always understand other people better, yeah. right? So yeah. it's it's not thinking of anything as static and mm-hmm. having that growth mindset too to to be willing to say I know I'm not perfect. And that's okay. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to continue to grow. And that's yeah. actually exciting, yeah. right, for us. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, Nicole, this has been such an enlightening conversation. And I love I love everything you're doing. Where can people find, uh, find you? Yeah. yeah. So uh, my website is www.organizationalempathy.com. Okay. And so you can find me there. I do have a bunch of resources and blog posts that you can, you know, just look at for free. Yep. You can also reach out. I have like... 30 minute free consultations. Um, awesome. if you're, you know, interested, especially I'm looking for clients right now who are, who are interested in doing one, like their leadership or they understand that something is wrong. We don't know what, but we're willing to, to work on it. We want to work better together and we want to, you know, be better managers for our, our people or my team wants to work better together. Yeah. Um, and, and, also looking for people who might be willing to do some of those more interactive, innovative approaches, like including movement, including other creative practices to figure out how we can work better together mm-hmm. and build that into our daily interactions. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure every uh, interaction with clients is almost customized to what their organization it is. Yeah. Is. And I think yeah. that's that's one of the benefits of working with me, a one person mm-hmm. shop, is that I am very high touch and yeah. I essentially tailor you know, the workshop and the program to your needs. Like I might have a base program that I have, but everything can be tailored based on what your team needs, based on what your manager needs. And, you know, based on like what your organization as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. And you're based in the San Francisco Bay area, but I'm assuming you you're able to work with. Yeah. So I, I I mean, I do a lot of, you know, virtual workshops now, especially with, you know, companies having a lot of hybrid and virtual work. So Definitely open to in-person or virtual hybrid type options of things. I've I've worked with work with people across the world. So yeah, awesome, yeah. awesome. Well, thank you so yes, much. Thank you so much for today. having me. It was a great conversation. So much fun. Yeah.